0: Love is the willingness to sacrifice for. Jesus wrote in His words that He loves you. But His actions speak it much louder when He left the throne of heaven and came upon earth. And He went to that cross and died for you. His sacrifice shows the measure of His love. And I would say in the same way Your sacrifice to God shows your measure of love to Him. Curtis, you weren't wrong. And we got some spiritual people in this room with what you felt. Curtis came to me and said, Pastor, I feel a burden upon you. And I'd like some men to gather around you and pray for you. And I just simply said, Please don't. I do appreciate it. But it's not about me, I have a burden. God's burden and it's for everybody that's in this building. It's not about me. It's for the empty chairs next to you. It's for those that are not here tonight, those that are watching online, it's for those that gather with us on Sunday mornings. But I have a very, very heavy burden upon me. Psalms 57 and 7. we would just simply get a hold of this scripture, it could change everything. Matt, I'm sorry. I know I didn't give you any scriptures. If you could just try to follow along with me tonight. Maybe if you have your Bibles on your phone or something, you can also follow along in your seats. Matthew 57 and 7 says this, my heart is fixed. Oh God. My heart is fixed. I will sing praise I hope your heart is fixed on God I hope there's nothing that can turn it I hope your heart beats just to be in his presence and just to know him I hope it's not just for what he can do for you but that your heart longs for who he is heart is fixed Oh God, my heart is fixed. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you. I'm just going to, if it's okay, talk to the church tonight. Instead of maybe my usual style of preaching. If I can withhold myself. I feel personally like I am probably the least likely man to ever pastor a church now. I'm sure other people probably have felt that way, but I truly have felt that way. Um, I never thought I'd be here pastoring this church. Early on, I didn't want to stay in Katusa, just to be honest. I had my mind set, my eyes set on other things. But it was the God who, for whatever reason, led my steps and led my paths to pastor this church and... I love this church. I love every one of you. I have fallen in love with the city of Katusa. I think we have. Well, we're not the largest. I think we have one of the greatest churches ever anywhere, because of you. And I don't just say that; I mean it. And I truly love you, and I want nothing but the best for every one of your lives. I really do. I. It burdens me when I see people going astray. It hurts me when people make bad decisions. It breaks my heart when they start believing lies that the devil has told them. When they start veering from the path of truth and they start going down a path where I already know where the end leads because I've seen it over and over and over and over in the lives of people that I have prayed for and shed tears for, and it breaks my heart. People I've prayed with as a brother. People that laid hands on me and spoken words of faith to me. Watch them crash and burn. It breaks this man's heart. Because really the only thing that matters is that you are right with God and that you make it to heaven. As your pastor, I have really two heartfelt desires as I pastor this church. Number one is I truly desire to persuade you to make that ultimate decision to live for God. With all that you are. To give your life to Christ. To hold nothing back. So me are like Agrippa, that almost thou persuadeth me, and I feel like Paul, not almost, but all the way. Give it all to him. And the second thing I desire to do is your pastors to teach you the, the ways of God through first the Word of God. It must be broken apart with very great diligence you must have an encompassing understanding from genesis to revelation the books the verses the authors the ultimate author of christ and what it's all saying because it can be confusing if you just try to pick and choose things here and things there so I try to break it down so you can receive it so you can live the principles of god and so you can be blessed and i also desire to teach you the way of the Spirit because God's Spirit does move upon the face of the earth. And there are many people who are called Christians who know nothing of the way of the Spirit. They know nothing of God. I think of somebody I know who's very close to me who was raised in a church. All of his life went to a Christian school and then he just told um, his mother the other day, he's, I believe he's 20 or 21, that he didn't know if he believed in God. My heart is broke because he needs a touch of the Spirit. Just to know about the Lord is not enough. There must be a measurable experiential level in everyone's life. That's how the church was birthed in Pentecost, and that's how it still is birthed in the lives of people. We first know about Him, and then we have an experience with Him, and we truly know who He is. For my life, Jesus showed up when I was 17. I knew about Him. When I was 17, He impacted my life in such a dy- dynamic way that I will I will never be the same again. And He capped it off by filling me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And with that experience in my life, I hope and I pray that every one of you, especially every one of these young people that are here tonight, have the same kind of life-changing experience that this 17-year-old boy had when I was some of your ages changed me. Never be the same again. I'm not the same. And I've tried to develop my walk with Christ, both biblically and in the Spirit, and I've tried to bring that to you, to teach you, to help you. At times, I felt like I'd beat my head against the wall. with No results. And other times, you guys call me and give me testimonies, and I rejoice with you for what God's doing. When Curtis walked over to me, I knew... He was hearing the Spirit. And I'm very thankful for that, Curtis. But I want to say, it doesn't matter the title I possess. It doesn't matter that the uh, pastor's office is called the pastor's office and I sit in there or I was elected pastor. The truth is, I'm only your pastor if you allow me to be your pastor. That's the only way. It's voluntarily. Now, you need a pastor in your life, and I would ask you to please, if you're coming to this church and this is your home church, please allow me and my wife, because we're a partner, to be a pastor and a pastor team in your life. The Bible says you need a watchman on the tower that prays, that gets a hold of God and watches what's going on so you can be safe. That is my desire. That is my goal. That's what I try to bring to warn you of danger. So you are not destroyed. You know, the life of King Saul is very interesting. And I wish if you would take time to study his life, it's one that you probably wouldn't take a lot of time because in the end he's a failure. And who wants to study failures, right? But the Lord spends a lot of time in 1 Samuel developing this man's character named Samuel because he really can connect to all of us. He was called. He was chosen. God did some tremendous things in his life. he always would push against God. And he specifically pushed back against his spiritual authority, which was the prophet Samuel. In the end, he got very disillusioned and confused. But he would have moments of truth. So you see this man that is vacillating between these extremes. And one moment he sees the truth and he speaks it. And the other moment he is trapped by his own deception, he believes his own stories. And you see this when, when David cut the robe off Saul's um, robe when he was in the cave. And then David felt terrible. Saul leaves and David comes running out of the cave. Falls on his face before Saul and he says, I shouldn't have done it. You're the anointed king. And Saul was so shocked. I mean, at that moment, he realized David could have killed him. He didn't know David was in the cave with him. And it startled Saul back to a moment of truth where he looked at David and he said, I know for a truth you're going to be the next king, David. And then you read the next passage, basically, or just the next chapter It begins. And Saul goes home and he gathers more men in his army to go out to face David, to kill David, and he makes this statement, God is with me. The vacillation of a man that will not submit to spiritual authority. In the end, he was bound by his own deception and he died in a battlefield over an army he was called to have victory of. I'm going to tell you, my friend, God is called to give you abundant life. But it's not going to happen just because he called it. It does matter what we do in life. Now, I am a man who is not perfect. I have a lot of faults. I don't pretend to be perfect. I would never pretend to be perfect because I'm married and my wife could tell you otherwise. But I do strive to be a godly man. I do strive to overcome my weaknesses and my faults. But I understand what it is to make mistakes. And so my heart is really burdened with people that make that. maybe make bad decisions or fall into sin or or, or going through a storm of life. I I want to help them. I want to be gentle with them. I want to love them. I want to give them mercy. You know, the Bible says in Galatians 6 and 1, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore him. And if there's anyone that should be following the Scripture, it should be the pastor. And so, I want to follow this. And my heart is heavy for people that are going the wrong way, and I try to reach for them and help them and strengthen them. And this is the desire. I know traditionally maybe some Pentecostal churches haven't been so merciful. You know, I I don't know if it's true or not, but someone came back to me and said that, you know, they're saying that um, your ministry, you're charismatic, you don't have standards, you don't care what people do. And I just feel like It's just because I have more mercy than a lot of men. I understand where brokenness and fallen people have come from. And my heart is to restore people. And if I've got to lean one way or another between being harsh or being too merciful, I'd always rather be too merciful. But don't make any mistake. I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. And I know what this apostolic church is all about, and I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. In fact, I'm very thankful for everything we have. You see, the question is really a heart, and it's always a heart issue, because here's what I know that when you stand before God, and you will stand before God, God is not going to look at your opinions, He is not going to look at your attendance at church. He's going to look at your heart, and your life is going to have. Been an example of what's really in your heart. Because what's in your heart comes forth by your conversations. What's in your heart comes forth by your actions, your decisions. What's in your heart comes out attitudes. And, and uh, you know, when I hear people that have makes, you know, maybe snide remarks or they're just hateful to people or they're or they're lewd and, and perverse Or they're just, you know, the the, the fruits of the flesh are coming out. And the rotten fruits, I would say. You know where their heart is. You don't have to guess. No, I'm not a man that wants to judge. I'm not going to judge any man. You will stand before God and God will judge you. God will judge me. There will be a judgment day and it's not today. And it's not going to be done by my ministry. I am going to try to get you to keep pressing forward. to desire... The the presence of God. To focus your life on God. And to have a realness. Not a pretend. Not a shallowness. But an absolute realness of seeking God for yourself. This church. This Christian church was born in a prayer meeting. And my friend. The only way we're going to be saved if our life is still connected to that fire of a prayer meeting that was started on Pentecost. Don't tell me that you know the Bible and you've been in church your whole life, but you don't have a prayer life, my friends, you're making a very, very bad mistake. Because I don't care how much church you've come to or how much Bible you've memorized. The only thing that really matters is what is in your heart. And if you don't have a prayer life, then you don't have a heart for Christ. You see, it's in the prayer closet and in your prayer life when you seek God. I wish I could have taken all of you and gathered you and put you in Celebrate Recovery on Monday night as Brother Chris was teaching. He's talking about taking the inventory of your heart. And what is really in your heart? What's there? What's beneath the surface of the smile and the, the outward shell of Christian identity? What are the hidden mo- motives that's in your heart? You know, David said, you don't even know what's the hidden motives of your heart unless God reveals them to you. Where are your true loves? What do you long for? What do you really want in life? What do you really desire? You see, it's only in the presence of God that God can reflect these things back to you and you can really work on yourself. It's easy to justify yourself, but what's really hard and what really makes a powerful apostolic Christian is when you allow God to take his surgery tools and reach into that heart and start tinkering around in there. I've been on more than one occasion where God said, You got to work on this. And you got this in your heart. And you got to do this. And I didn't even know it was there unless God revealed it. Psalms 42 and 1 says, As a hart panteth after the water brook. So panteth my soul after thee. Oh, what does your soul pant after? What is it that you want? He says, My soul thirsteth for you, God. I want to know you. I hunger for you. I long for you. Desire to know you. You know, it's interesting to me that in every he studied the New Testament, which I would encourage you to do. And nearly every book of the Bible in the New Testament. And also some in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the writer, and most of it was the Apostle Paul, but John, even Jesus talked about it. Had to deal with this idea of false prophets and false teaching. And I want you to realize that when the devil came to tempt Jesus, he didn't quote Caesar. He didn't quote some high priest. He used the Word of God to try to tempt Jesus. And so, I want you to understand that it's... it's. It's not unusual, it's been being done for 2,000 years, for someone to take a Scripture or something in the Bible and to twist it to try to justify carnal desires. This is why what's in the heart is so important because if you don't go to God and say, God, what's in here? Then you can believe a lie and you can even stand on Scripture believing a lie, but you're still believing a lie. Take that bread and eat it. Take it. Why didn't Jesus do that? Is eating bread sin? Or maybe, just maybe, Jesus was trying to teach us something. That the way of the Spirit, you're supposed to never use it to fulfill the desires of the flesh. Ever. Even just to make bread. Colossians 2 and 4, and I could give you tons of Scriptures, but I'll just give you one. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. I mean, they don't come with a stamp on, you know, like a big stamp on their uh, chest, like a name tag that says false prophet. Hi, I'm the false prophet. How are you doing today? No, they come as teachers of, of light and teachers of righteousness, and they have words that. Sounds so good. They're enticing. Yeah, that's got to make sense. Man, that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. In Ephesians 4 and 14, it says this, that we henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind and doctrine by the sight of men and cunning craftiness. Whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Who lies in wait? The false teachers, the false prophets, the de- the desires of these people that their hearts are not right, but they are going around teaching. He's saying they want to come, and they want to bring confusion and put in your life, and you're tossed to and fro. putting in confusion and darkness and questions. Wasn't it saying that came the Eve and said, hath God not said? It's always that. It's always uh, uh, bringing all kinds of different ideas and philosophies and doctrines and scriptures and slight of men and cunning craftiness to try to uh, take you from the simple, uh, the Bible calls it the simplicity of Christ. It's very simple that I must live for him and I must, if I do love him, I must be a living sacrifice. But if you lead up to that scripture, the Bible gave you an antidote. How not to have this happen to you. He says, this is why I'm giving you the five-fold ministry, and this is why I'm giving you a pastor. The pastor's job is to keep you from spiritual deception. You know, you can buck against spiritual authority, and some of you may have had some bad, I, I, I won't even say may, I know I've talked to many of you, you've had some bad pastors or experiences with men of God in the past. And I'm very sorry for that. I hate when I hear these stories and I've seen how much damage it can do. But this is what I know with dealing with these situations is that the devil will try to take that same poisonous mindset that may have been justified from another experience you had and try to cast it upon me and my wife and any other leadership in this church. I've watched it happen time and time again and my friend, it, it hurts me. It, it breaks my heart. But I'm going to tell you, it destroys the one that believes that lie, not me. You see, this is not about me tonight. And this is why I didn't want the men to pray about me, for me, because it's not about me. I'm just in this role. Someday someone else will be in this role and be pastor of this church. So it's not about the man, it's about the principal... My friends, you need spiritual leadership in your life or you will be deceived. Jeremiah 3 and 15 says, and I will give you pastors according to my heart, which will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That is what I endeavor to do every week and that is what I teach the young men that minister in this church to do. This is what me and my wife try to do when we're counseling and helping people. I want to show you what the scripture says of the people that go around and go against spiritual leadership with their own opinions, Jude one and twelve, and it's it's very. I mean, it's just straightforward because apparently Jude was dealing with the same issue. Speaking of these people that would come into the church and begin to um, spew their own opinions, he said this: "They are feast, or excuse me, they are spots in your feast of charity." In other words the church is a feast of love and they are spots. They don't quite fit in. They stand apart. They feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. In other words, they have no fear of God. They just are there. They're going to do whatever they want to do. They don't fear God. And they're going to spew their own opinions and, they, and then he says this, clouds without water, carried about of winds, Trees whose fruit is withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging wheat waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I mean, I've had people come to my office and say, why won't you always just preach love? And I say, okay, I will preach love because the love of God has transformed my life. But what are you going to do with this kind of scripture? What are you going to do with it? The Lord is a very serious God and He is a loving God, but I'm going to tell you, my friend, He has lines that He asks people not to cross. In 1 John 2 and 19, uh, John dealing with the same issue. He was pastor in Ephesus for a while. He said, and speaking of people that were once with them in the congregation and left, he said, they went out from us, they left us but they weren't of us. Yes, they were here for a while, but they were never really a part of us. They were never really apostolic. They were never really Christians. Because he said this, because if they had been of us, if they really were of us, they would have continued with us to this day. You see, the time has proven what was in their heart. And, and the time revealed that because they weren't really the real deal, they left. And so how foolish would it be to get online and, and read the blogs of people who left the apostolic church? And let that poison get in your mind. They're not of us. They never were, he said. This is why I'm burdened, my friend, because don't let these false prophets put lies and poison in your mind and steal the most precious thing you've got is your life with Christ. Don't give them your air. Don't 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 listen to their logic. Don't hear their enticing words or their opinions. It only breeds confusion. My friend, we have we have churches all around America to this day that it breaks my heart when I drive by them that they're they're still having services, but they have no anointing. They have no they have no power of God. They don't have what we feel this day. Why? Because somewhere along the way, these these people with opinions that say, you know, we don't have to have prayer meetings anymore, we don't have to live holy anymore, we don't have to have consecrated lives anymore, we don't have to do this anymore, until they start doing away with everything, until they still had church. They were in the building, they called themselves Christians, but they no longer had the power of God among them. I could name one, I'll name you two, Methodist. Read some of the history of the Methodist Church. It puts shame to the to us who are called Apostolic Church. I mean, they sought God with all their heart. I mean, I, I it just I it just and, and then go to the Methodist Church today and see what you get. I've been there. I've been there. Assembly of God Church. My, some of my family go to the Assembly of God in Broken Arrow, At the assembly. and Listen, I'm not here to judge any church. I'm really not. I'm not a judge of anybody. But there is a problem when the Prince of God doesn't show up in the church building. It's a problem. Assembly of God were one with us once. I mean, go back to Reed Azusa Street. It was out of Azusa Street in the seeking of God that the Assembly of God church was born. And yet you walk in almost any Assembly of God church today and some, somewhere along the way they lost it. Why? Because they lost their consecration because someone started preaching a message of compromise. And you don't have to do that. And oh, he loves you and it's okay. And love is just a feeling. It's not, it's not sacrifice any longer. My friend, I've got to have the moving of God. I must be in a church where God moves. I must be in a church where things happen that are not necessarily on our outline of what's supposed to happen, but God just moves in. The Bible says suddenly it was a it was a sound from heaven. I need some of those moments where we're just having service and then suddenly God begins to flow in the house and begins to touch lives and begins to get a hold of hearts. i got to have the moving of God in my life. I've got to have the spirit of God to do miracle signs and wonders. There has to be a people and I don't care how small they are, even if it's just a small remnant. we got to Gather together and lock arms and say, We're going to seek God until God moves in our life and does powerful things on our behalf. We will not, we will not give in to the spirit of the age that we live in. No, I'm not doing it. I won't do it. Don't listen to those that tell you have to reject, that you should reject consecrated lifestyles. Because truly, their heart, they want to be more like the world. Then they want to be like Jesus Christ. Samson should have showed us something that. Oh God is merciful. And you might break few consecrations. And still feel the God in your life. But my friend when you start breaking all the consecrations. say so that he shook himself and there was nothing. And My friend I don't want to be that kind of church. For one day we come to church. And we're shaking ourselves and there's nothing. Because God shows up. Because people are living sacrifices. And he's come to receive what's on the altar. This is what God does. Listen. You or I should not care. One whit about what anyone's opinion is. We should not care what people's philosophy is. We should not care what people say or don't say. We should only desire to be biblical and pleasing to God. We must. Hear me. Study. Understand the depths of Scripture. Before you have an opinion on it, you better study it all. You better study it deep. You better pray and fast. You better ask God to open your understanding. You better go to Luke 42 and 42, excuse me, Luke 24 and 42. It says, God opened their understanding and they understood the Scripture. You better get it from God. And secondly, this is just as important. You better have a pure heart while you're studying Scripture. So that your opinion does not taint what you're reading. Because it's, it's possible for you to gravitate just to certain Scriptures that justify what you already believe. While ignoring the ones that might force you to reevaluate what you've been preaching. Proverbs 30 and 12, and I think of this a lot. There is a generation that is pure in their own eyes, and yet they are not washed from their own filthiness. Wow. Pure in their own eyes. But God looks down and God says, they're filthy. They're filthy. They're covered with spots of the world. My friend, you better seek God. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Maybe you don't even know. Maybe you better go to God and ask God that question. God, what's in my heart? God, what's in my heart? God, what's in my heart? Reveal to me, oh God. I pray this for myself all the time. I say, God, if you see any, if you see any weeds sprouting up in my heart, pluck them out. You're the gardener. Show it to me, God. I want the life of the Spirit to be manifest in my life and not weeds. You don't have to do anything to grow weeds. They just grow. But if you're going to cultivate something that's beautiful, a beautiful character, a beautiful spirit, something that's loving and gentle and peaceful and truly joyful and truly inspires others and lifts people up to their highest heights and believes in people, you've got to cultivate that because that, well, it just won't come naturally. 1 John 2 and 15 says this, Love not the world, neither the things of the world, because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And so here's the reality. If you say you love God, but you love the world, do you realize you're just lying to yourself? Do you realize you're just believing a lie? Because the Bible says you can't love the Word the world, and love God at the same time. Now if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Revelations chapter 18. I'm watching the time, but the Lord shook me with this. And my friend, I wanted anything but to preach this tonight. (laughs) In fact, I was contemplating changing my message when someone inspired by the Holy Ghost came and gave me a word. (laughs) And the Lord was basically saying, you stay on track. You stay on track. Even pastor needs that sometimes. <laughs> you see, I, I I don't like like the writer of Hebrews. He said, "I want to give you meat, but I got to go back and give you milk because you've lost the foundation once we started upon." And and I'm kind of like that. I want to go to the depths of God, but sometimes we got to stop, take a time out, and we got to lay some foundations again, or the house is going to crumble. Revelations two and eighteen says this, and unto the angel of the church of if I retire, I write these things. These, sees, these things saith the Son of God, who hath eyes like the, unto the flame of fire, and his feet are like brass. I know thy works and thy charity, and thy service and faith and patience and works, and the last to be more than the first. Stop right there for a minute, but don't close it. I want you to first understand the angel of the church is not talking about, uh, uh, like when we think of an angel, he's speaking to the pastor. Um, and I don't have time to go into it and explain it. Just believe me, if you did a, a, a study on that. So the Lord is saying this to John. You know, he's the, he's the son of God. He is the eyes like a fire. This is, he's got the feet like fine brass. And he's saying, I know that what the church's work is. I know how you've led the church. And, and they've got love and they've got kindness and they've got patience. And they're, and they're going forth and they're doing these things. They're, they've got service and they've got faith. And God says, I know this, pastor. I know this. And then he says in verse number 20, coming from the Lord. But notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Who? The pastor. I've got something against you, Pastor. Why? Because you suffer that woman Jezebel, with calleth herself a prophetess to teach and seduce. My servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols, and so other other words, he's saying this. He's saying, you haven't dealt with her. You've gave her some mercy, and in, in verse twenty one says God gave her mercy as well. And this is a specific woman. This is not just a spirit. Yes, there's a spirit attached to her because the spirit, I don't believe her name was Jezebel. The Lord is saying the spirit that was on Jezebel in the Old Testament is the same spirit that's upon this woman that's in your church. And she has identified herself as being a prophetess. In other words, she claims to be holy. She claims to have revelation. She claims that her opinions earn somehow a greater revelation than what's being taught by the pastor. And she's going around and she's teaching her opinions and her doctrines and her philosophies to anyone that would listen. And pastor, you've known this and you haven't dealt with it. And so, yes, I'm angry with the woman, but I'm angry with you, pastor, for not dealing with it. Because her teachings are leading people to sin. And this is the point. She claims it's a higher revelation she claims it's of God, and yet the outcome is sin. The outcome is brokenness, the outcome is idolatry. And notice verse 21. This is why the Lord wrote this. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. And she repented not. So it was appropriate to have a time of mercy. It's an appropriate, God always gives people a time to repentance. God reached for her in services. God let the Spirit of God flow. He sent preachers, evangelists, whatever. Give her those moments to repent, but she refused. Verse 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of her deed. So he's saying this. If you don't go talk to her, deal with her. I'm going to have to deal with her. And it's going to be very harsh judgment. Now verse 23 deals with anyone that is listening to her. And I will kill her children with death. My friend, this is... This, I mean, can you imagine opening the envelope and this is the letter you got from God? And this is a real letter went to a real church with a real lady and a real pastor. It's not a metaphor. Anyone that's listening to her, he said, I will kill her children with death so that all the church will know that I am He that what? Searches... The scripture online that he's got up says the minds and the hearts, but I like how the King James says it. It says, searches the reins of the heart. He, see, it always goes back to the heart. The heart wasn't right with the woman, and the heart wasn't right with the ones that are listening to the woman. And then he said in verse 24, and God is saying, there's a separation. Am I like, drawing a line? But now say unto the rest of the church. You see, I'm happy with the rest of the church. They haven't took the doctrine. They haven't listened to her opinions. They haven't taken it. They they haven't known. Look what he said: the depths of Satan. This is what was being spewed in the darkness, in the corners, in the cars, in the in the homes. Whenever the whatever you know, she had her opportunity, and, and what she was truly doing was not giving revelation of God, but she was giving the depths of Satan to the lives of people who weren't submitted to their pastor. This is why this is so, so important. Time of repentance. Now you can only imagine that when I'm in prayer and God gives me this, this letter. God, I don't know what exactly is happening. But I pray heed my warning. Heed my warning because I don't want to see judgment coming on your life. I pray for you. I love you. I desire the best for you. But if there's anybody that's going to think they're going to come into this church and they're going to destroy the apostolic faith and doctrine, my friend, you better take heed. We are an apostolic church and we believe in holiness. And I'm not ashamed of that. I believe in separation from the world, absolutely. The body is the temple of God, so we keep it free from drugs. We keep it free from alcohol. We keep it free from tobacco. We keep it free from perverse conversations. We remain sexually pure. We believe in the distinction of two genders. We believe in modesty. And the question really is, and it's this, and this is what the lady in Jeze- the lady God called Jezebel in Revelation, and this is the question God would ask us today. Do we use our bodies to please our own opinions, our own limited perspectives, and our own desires? Or do we use our bodies to serve the Lord? As a living sacrifice. You know, you don't own your body. You have it for a while. You rent it. But one day you've got to turn it back in. How are you using that body? Now, I'm not talking about people that make mistakes. Hear me. We've all been there. I don't judge people that make mistakes. If you fall down, let me give you a helping hand. I'm talking about people that made up their mind. They're going to do what they want to do, which is actually rebellion. Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that ye present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. 1 Corinthians 16 and 19, what? You know not that your temple, excuse me, you know not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You don't own yourself. Christ bought you at Calvary. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. And I'm only giving these scripture in context to show you these are not my words. I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches. Know ye not that, the temple, that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Verse 17. If any man defileth the temple of God, him shall God destroy. I mean, these are harsh words. These are real words, and these are things that we need to really think about. My friend, God, does, God, God is so merciful. He's so loving. You know, I think of, I think of the man in the... Uh, Jesus told a parable, and I won't turn to it for time's sake, but he told a parable about two people going to the temple. And one was a Pharisee, and one was a sinner. And it's an interesting uh, study, if you would take time to study it. Because the Pharisee was proud. He, 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 you know, he was so thankful he was so holy and all these different things saying what all he did for god and my friend we reject that attitude as we should that's not a, that's not a good attitude i don't want i've seen it in pentecost i've seen it in apostolic people and it's ugly and it comes from the devil pride comes from the devil but if you look at the other man he's beating his chest and he won't so much look his eyes in the heaven saying god be merciful on me god says i hear that sinner's prayer And that man is more justified than the first. But I'm going to tell you what is absent from that story. Is anyone that's in the temple that is justified in their own sin and is determined to do their own thing in sin. Do you think that is any different from the man that's going to to be proud of how holy he is? You think the person that's proud of or stubborn and determined to go in their sin that God's going to justify that? My friend, you are sadly mistaken and you haven't read the gospel at all. It does matter what's in the heart and what's in the heart does work its way outside, my friend. It absolutely does. The problem is that some only try to clean the outside and this is what Jesus was trying to deal with. You've got to deal with the heart. Matthew 23 and 26, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that's what is in the cup and the platter. Cleanse inside The inner man, the heart. Then he says that the outside may be clean also. My friend, it always works itself. Let me tell you, I don't have to teach anybody this. When people come and get full of the Holy Ghost and they start seeking God, they start changing things about themselves without anybody telling them. Why? Why does this happen? Because when you fix the heart, it manifests itself on the outside. It always does, it always will. If you only focus on the outside, then yes, there's something wrong with that. But if you reject God's hand to reach down and change people, then my friend, we're just all lost in sin. It's sanctification, it's what He did at the cross at Calvary when He paid the price for us, but then He said, I sanctified you, which means I took you from that sinful state and I've transformed you slowly and molding you and and making you and changing you into that glorious state that I've died for you to be. You know, stubbornness is like, the Bible says, like witchcraft. Excuse me. Rebellion is like witchcraft because Satan was the first rebel and stubbornness is like adultery because... You worship your own opinion. I want to, I need two people. Chris, Skylar, would you do me a favor? I see the Tom. Just give me a couple more minutes here. Chris, I want you to go to the, no, I want you to be the bad person. Come here. <laughs> You'll be the good person, Skylar. Go to, the, go to the back of the room for a minute. <laughs> Chris is going to be the bad one. Okay, this stage represents being in the presence of God and having a consecrated life. Where Skylar is standing represents the world. You're in Egypt. Now, I want you guys to both walk down the aisle and me in the middle and just stop side by side. We've got two people. Stop. In the right, in the exact same place. Skylar was in the world, but look how many steps he made to get his life to the Lord. He's not all the way up here yet, but he's made steps. He's done some incredible things. I honor everything you've done, Skyler. I honor your prayers, your, your studying, your, uh, every, everything you've given to God. Maybe you're not up here yet where God has called you to be fully yet, but you're there. And you know you're going the right way. Now, my friend Chris there, he's standing in the same exact same place. But the difference is, where was he? He started in a deeper, more consecrated place with God. And he's not taking steps towards God. He's taking steps away from God and towards the world. In fact, he's facing the world while his back is to God. You see, my friend, you can have two people in the exact same place and one be right with God and one be wrong with God. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. I commend anyone that is just taking one more step to Christ. See, I don't know where you are right now. We've got people in all different spiritual development. And it doesn't matter where you are. I'm glad you are where you are as long as you're making steps towards Christ. But my friend, if you're taking steps towards the world, you better reevaluate yourself. So real fast, I'm just going to say this part, which I would rather skip, but I will not. Our church is open to sinners. Anyone can walk through that door, and we're going to love you. I don't care how you are, who you are. We've had murderers walk in the church. We love them. I don't care if you come in as a transgender or or any other sin. It doesn't really bother me, because sin is sin. And we're going to open you with loving arms and treat you right, but never forget... Our goal is to get you in the presence of Christ. It's not just to accept you in your sin. But it's to get you to heaven. And so as we have an open arms to sinners. You need to also understand we are not going to compromise the righteousness of God in our lives. We're not going to compromise our convictions. We're not going to compromise our moral standings. We're not going to compromise our moral lifestyles. You see there has to be an acceptance and a balance in the. Apostolic church between acceptance of sinners and and whatever sin they bring with them and the righteousness of God that Scripture has called us to walk in, our consecrations. I'm going to hold firm to them. And this is what we must do, my friend. If this pulpit was your consecrations, you better come and you better reach for sinners. You better try to get a hold of them and you better never never stop. We want to see people get to heaven. But if your hand ever slips from consecrations, you better remove your hand from trying to reach anyone else and you better get your life back where you're safe with God and with Christ. I've had more than one person come to me and say, Pastor, God has spoke to me about this and this evening at the altar or this this morning at the altar, I've given this part of my life to Christ only to have them six months later tell me, Yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Not doing that anymore. You see, my friend, some will come in because of our openness. We're not the strict historic Pentecostal, you know, you better change before you walk through the front doors kind of attitude. I, I never that's not a godly attitude. We should have never had it. I know some churches had, and I'm sorry. I will never have that attitude. I don't like that attitude. And I've sat under a pastor who's my pastor, Brother Doherty, who never had that attitude. I'm thankful for that. But because of our openness, people will come in and they'll think, you know what? We can just do what we want around here. Take advantage, be in rebellion, rejecting uh, spiritual submission, rejecting who we are in Christ, thinking, well, I'll just change the whole church, having their own agendas. My friend, you better not be going around and preaching your own opinions to just whoever. Behind back, pastor's back, trying to find someone who's struggling in faith, is whisper in their ear, trying to find someone that's younger, someone that's in the youth group, someone that's vulnerable, someone that doesn't know any better. And I'm going to tell you, my friend, it's not appropriate and it's not ethical to pull young people aside while their parents are bringing them to this church trying to teach them a godly lifestyle, to pull them aside, and pour your opinions in their ear. The fact, is just flat evil. It's just not right. Especially when you know it's contrary to what pastor believes. And I'm going to tell these young people, listen to me. I wanted you out here to hear this. If someone is preaching something differently than what I am preaching or my wife is preaching. My f- you better run or you could be destroyed by it. You better close your ears and get out of there. You better pull a a, a, a Joseph. He just left his coat and got out of there. Because a spirit of confusion will come into you. And that spirit of confusion will destroy the faith that you've had. And when you wake up on the other side, you'll be nothing but death all around and in your life. And if you do make it back to an altar of Christ some years, some decades later, my friend, you'll miss out on everything that God had for you. During your life, I, I, you know, I remember Valerie's old youth leader. I don't know what got a hold of him. I don't know what happened, but he backslid. And he raises girls outside of the apostolic church. And once you know it, they're, they're, uh, they're in their late teens, early 20s, and now they're both on drugs. And so now the, the, the dad, Valerie's old youth leader, and Jonathan's old youth leader, um, I got to do something. I'm going to bring him to church. This is a few years back. And so it was one of his daughter's birthdays, and so he told his daughter, he said, he said, all I want for, no, it's his birthday, that's right. And he said, all I want from you daughters for my birthday is I want you to come to camp meeting service with me. And so there they sat on the back row, angry, didn't want to be there. And they left before the service was over. My friend, you can't make up in one moment what you walked a life away, you know, what God had a life for you. I'm a living example of what God can do when a 17-year-old gives his life to Christ. I'm not perfect. I made my share of mistakes, but God has picked me up every time, and he's carried me. and He's never, been, he's never judged me in the sense that he, he wanted the worst for me, but he only ever disciplined me out of love. Because you've got to have a heart that's pliable and a heart that loves God. You've got to have a, God, a heart that wants to be more like Jesus and less like the world. Your attention has got to be more in heaven and less on the things of the world and the atmosphere of the world. Because, my friend, if you seem to be getting closer to the world and you notice it in your life, you better stop and get to an altar. And you better let some convictions get a hold of you. You better, if the lack of conviction in your life is causing you to be more like the world, then you better get some biblical convictions in your life. And if you need help, I'll help you out with that. I will. The gospel is a sword. I'm about to close. The gospel is a sword. It divides people. Because Jesus makes no room. He says, I am the only way of salvation. Jesus is not all inclusive. He's not at all. He says there's one way. And he said, if you follow me, you'll be hated for my name's sake. Yes, they're going to hate you. He said, if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted because, well, they persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you. But I'm going to tell you, young people, hyphen, and every person that's in this auditorium and online or hears this message in the future. In the midst of this dark, unholy, proud, blaspheming world that wants to lay down every consecration and go do what the flesh wants to do. We must link arms and stand tall and be unashamed of who we are in Jesus Christ. He has called us to be the salt and the light. He has called us to stand and reflect the testimony of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives. I once was lost, but now I'm saved. I was broken and going to hell, but he found me. I was addicted to sin, but he pulled me out. I was this, that, or the other. The scripture says some were such of you, but we've been washed and we've been cleansed and we've been sanctified, which means transformed and changed. This is what God does. (laughs) because this is the secret. God wants the best for you. He wants you to live that abundant life. And you can't do it unless your heart is fixed on him. As the musicians come, you can stand. I want to share one last thing with you. I, uh, many of you know, before you start playing, I'm gonna share a couple of lyrics, but just get ready and I'll turn it over to you. As many of you know, I had a beloved dog that, um, I've had for forever. His name was Bogart. Now, he got that name because we had a Humphrey at the time, so we had Bogart, or Humphrey Bogart, right? But Humphrey didn't last long. He, something was wrong with him, but, Boger had been around, he's been around with us for 14 or 15 years. He's one of those timid dogs. He was always timid, very furry. Been on three, three moves with us, lived in three different houses. I knew uh, he was going downhill, I've been telling my wife. And I knew perhaps something would have to be happening if he didn't bounce back. Two years ago, he got kind of sick, but bounced back. I was hoping for the same. I came home last night, and I found him there, laying there, and he had been deceased. He was no longer alive. And my heart, you know, anyone that's a dog person, you know, you kind of have a special bond with your dog. And my heart was sad, and he was a very good dog. And I had to go bury him, you know. And so, Gabe came out and helped me, and we're just digging this hole and, you know, it's just kind of weird. You're digging a hole for your pet that you've always, you know, been there for 15 years. And then you just put him in there. I don't know how you're supposed to bury a dog. I don't know, like, I know how to do humans. We, do, we have very, like, elaborate ceremonies. And then we just threw dirt back on him. And I was thinking of all the 15 years that he was with us, and I got to thinking of how short life really is. A dog's life is much shorter than ours, but ours is going to pass like that. Young person, if you ever have a time, gather around Sister Doherty and ask her, how long does it feel? She'll tell you just a moment. You know, and maybe we could just sing this song again, but before we sing it, I've asked them to sing it Sunday night. Maybe we just end with it again tonight, nothing else. But the lyrics are this. I just want you, speaking to God, Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you, God. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I'm not here for your blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. All I really want is I just want you. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy mount, and I never want to leave. I just want you. As the musician begin to play, would you close your eyes, and would you just pray that, God, I just want you. That's all I want. I just want you, God. I just want you. just want you. As we sing this song, you're welcome to come pray or find a place to pray. But God is in this house. Maybe we can just get in the presence of God for a few moments before we leave this.